In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. It's not good morning, it's not good evening, it's in the middle of the night. I'm here with Ian Wright, right, right. Ian, we're getting excited. We're about to go to Boston. How are you, buddy? Ah, uh-huh. the interma- international man of mystery, Paul Brown. I am good. Uh, just wrapping up here a nice week in the States, uh, getting ready for some Browns-Patriots football, baby. I've had a lovely evening with uh, Connor Rogers from the Bleacher Report, shown him London, and I'm now here to talk about all the latest news, all the gossip, everything that's been going on today. So where do we start? Oh, well, why don't we start right there in London? I think you got a couple Rams and Bengals teams that have come over. Uh, and you heard anything good about what they're up to? I know you had a little bit of gossip on the Raiders, but uh, any uh, idea if one team's traveled over before the other? Uh, I've got nothing on this, I'm afraid. It sounds really awful, but I just speak from the heart. It gets a bit boring when it's four games. The first game gets a lot of hype, a lot of media coverage. Now we're in the third game. NFL's not in the night town anymore. It's it's at Wembley. It's a big stadium. And, and tickets are being sold for uh, £1 at the moment. And this is my biggest point. Is we're not ready for a franchise. And I'd hate a franchise to come over here and the rest of America laugh at us because we've got empty uh, stadiums. So uh, there's my rant starting off. The England version of Jacksonville? It could be, and it'd be really sad. And um, I keep saying this, but you've got to understand, English fans are loyal. They're going to stay with their team who they started spoiling with. They're not going to franchise to another team. I did a poll online, and the one thing interesting did come up, though, is they would support two teams. They would support their... Browns, for me, for example, and support London. But when the Browns play, the, the London team, the Browns would have the overall win. But I still don't like that, to be honest. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I'm not a London Raiders fan, you know? Yeah, I think it just goes back to your point you made a couple of shows ago that the Super Bowl will never be played in London. No, never. And uh, I don't want it to be. And uh, yeah. I go to China for a nice Chinese. I don't expect a good Chinese in London, you know. I don't don't want to go to China to watch the NBA finals. Yeah, exactly. I want to watch American football in America. But anyway, we're not not a London NFL podcast. We're a Browns podcast. Let's get into the, the, the juicy stuff that's been going on today. You mean the real housewives of the Cleveland Browns drama? I mean, it seemed like every time we turned around, there was a different story, a different this, a different that. It was, uh, it was quite impressive how the Browns made the national media news uh, almost every single day this week. We are scraping bones, though, I must say. Like, Randall's deleted Cleveland Browns from Instagram, and we're going to talk about it. Or um, Okay, let's, let's start with Greg, Greg, Greg Robinson anyway, because that is a solid thing. I actually haven't really got my head around it in the aspect of I'm not sure who said it to the world. So if you can maybe educate me on that, that'd be amazing. So the story of the day, Freddie Kitchens went out, had a short press conference today where he was asked about the offensive line. He said, I will be starting two tackles, two guards and a center. 
That was the extent. So Freddie had said, you know, I'm going to start this, these people. And he didn't give an answer to what was going to happen. Well, then 15 minutes later, the beat reporters are down in the locker room and mentioned to Greg Robinson, oh, about starting. And he goes, yep, I'm a backup this week. So the Browns spent this, you know, insane amount of uh, secrecy points to try to keep this under wraps. And then I don't know if they just forgot to tell the players or Greg Robinson just decided on his own he was going to say something. But the controversial aspect of what he said was that after speaking to John Dorsey, I'm, you know, the backup. I'm not sure the exact context, but the theory was that John Dorsey is actually making the roster decisions, not Freddie Kitchens. I'm going to challenge you on this. Is it though Freddie Kitchen is, I don't want to use the word puppet. I want to use the face, maybe the face. And he's trying to keep everyone happy and trying to please everyone on the roster where Dorsey's making the hard decisions and, and Freddie's just the in-between guy with the media trying to smooth everything out. I think it's a, it's a battle of context. I think how this goes down is the offensive line coach and Freddie Kitchens meet and say, hey, this is our best five that we need to go with. And I'll get a little bit into the gamesmanship of Justin McCray filling in if he's the one because we don't even have confirmation of that. So then Freddie Kitchens goes to Greg and says, hey, listen, we're going to go with whoever this week. Well, Greg Robinson's been in the league for you know, a number of years. He's a veteran. All his name has been surfaced as somebody who could cut, get cut, somebody who could get traded. Well, Freddie Kitchens doesn't know his status. Freddie Kitchens' job is to say, these are the best five, and these are who I'm – at that point there, Robinson's going to go, all right, well, I'm going to go talk to Dorsey and find out what is my status with the team. So I'm sure that's how it went down. And then he went up there, and Dorsey gave him the answer. This is what our plan is for you, yada, yada, yada. Greg Robinson goes back to the locker room and says, well, I just got done speaking with John Dorsey. Well, the message was likely conveyed to him way before he went and talked to John Dorsey about his future with the team. So I could see it's, it's one of those things where context matters. And if you're reading things in tweets or in headlines, they may sound differently than they actually appear, as which seems to be the theme of the week. Now, let's talk about the NFL in, in general and the media. How could it be that a media credential just can speak to a player and get that information? So the Browns will authorize certain publications to have locker room access, to have you know, access to the, the, um, the media room. So they give them a little bit of full reign, but they have to do it within a restricted time frame. So they'll get a schedule that says, hey, you're a, you have player availability from X to Y. You'll have this availability from you know, Y to Z. So they basically give them a schedule they have to follow. Well, one of the controversial people this week has been a Mr. Greg Robinson. So as you can imagine, there was probably several people that wanted to talk. Do you think in that the Browns said, I'm just going to chuck some names out like Mary Kay or Scott Pentract. You can speak to Greg Robinson about anything you want. I don't think they limit who can talk to who. My guess is they say it's a free-for-all. You know, some guys are willing to talk. Some guys have better relationships with other reporters. Um, it's, it's kind of a free-for-all from what I know about what you know, goes on in there. So it sounded like what, there was several people around Robinson. Um, I know that it was initially tweeted out and then a lot of people ran with it. Um, but again, we've not got any confirmation from the Browns. The Browns have not come out. There's wide speculation that Justin McCray is filling in at left tackle. Maybe it's Kendall Lamb. I mean, we don't know anything for the Browns. 
it could be, and you know, I know one thing about if it if it is McCray, McCray is a much better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. So this may be a little bit of a hat to going with a run heavy package. And you very well in that case may see Greg Robinson in as an extra blocker. You know, a lot of we don't have Corbett anymore. So, you know, you're looking at now using that sixth offensive lineman in some packages. You Greg Robinson may get a surprising number of steps on Sunday. So Peter John Baptiste, uh, JB. you know, he's the vice president of communications. Will he just be like pulling his hair out at the moment? Just go in like, what is going on at the moment? I've let these guys come into my locker room and they're just putting me under the bus. I would not doubt that after this week, there is some conversations had just given, you know, a team that's on a bye week, you're, these reporters are looking for something to write about. I mean, to be fair, they're paid to write stories, and they get paid based on the number of fans that click on their stuff. So the more controversial stuff they write, sometimes the more clicks they get. It's the Skip Bayless, Colin Cowherd model. And this week, the Browns just got a little lackadaisical. Like we've noticed in the first you know, year and a bit that Dorsey was around, it was a very tight ship. And I'm sure Peter, who by all accounts – you know, is fantastic at his job is probably saying, Hey, listen, we can't, we can't give you guys this kind of leeway if you're going to take advantage of it because all of these national stories that have to be talked about end up on the bulletin boards of guys like Bill Belichick and, you know, all around the league talking about the offensive line situation. So the Browns do lose advantages, you know, to having that stuff in house. So I would almost bet that there are going to be some heavy conversations about what is going on from the media because you can definitely tell the frustrations are boiling. You know, you, there's a little bit of tension in that room lately. So the aw shuck Southern uh, Freddie kitchens, I think is maybe irking some of these media people. And like every NFL team, do they all have say 10, 20 guys that all uh, write? It's all common practice. Yeah. Yeah. It just depends. I mean, New York obviously has significantly more than Jacksonville. So it really just depends on what the market supports. Um, you know, a lot of the people that have been on the beat for the Browns for a while, you know, have been there for a while, some of them even prior to the move. Um, so it's just one of those things where however large the market is that can dictate it, publications will exist. Those publications submit to the Browns and then the Browns have the right to, you know, approve or deny. Well, if I lived in Cleveland, I'd definitely put my name in the hat. Oh, I would definitely, uh, I would second that for you. I think, I think half the time the questions you ask your guests um, are light years better than some of the ones that I hear coming out of Berea. Ian, stop it. You're flattering me. Anyway, so let's move on swiftly. So do, can we see Hubbard going on the other side, for example, and McGray going on the, on the side he's more comfortable with? All indications is that you don't want to move too many pieces on the offensive line around. We all saw Chris Hubbard at left tackle. I don't think anybody was, uh, b you know, bursting with joy after watching that. Um, Tennessee really kind of took advantage of that. So I, if I see them making a change and putting a guy like Justin McCray at left tackle, I would highly anticipate that the remaining four positions stay locked uh, the way they are. And any other twist you think there could be, or you think it's uh, McGray? I mean, Kendall Lamb is your other option. Um, obviously, Drew Forbes was um, designated to return, but he won't be active for a few more games. Um, the Browns have mainly versatile linemen as opposed to just a stalwart tackle or something like that. But what we could see is if, say, they put McCray on the left side, 
you know, you could really just saddle a tight end over there and just give him all the help in the world. You're leaving Hubbard on an island. But like I said, the weather in Cleveland or the weather in New England on Sunday doesn't look all that promising. So it may be one of those ugly games where we're really just going to try to run and pound the ball. Freddie and, and Monk and may see an advantage on film where Nick Chubb could end up with 30, 35 carries. And you know, they're sitting there going, well, I'd rather have the better run blocker in Justin McCray than I would Greg Robinson. And like I said, you may see him in there more often. Mm. And uh, yeah, how do you all feel about uh, Greg Robinson? Do you think this is the end of his Browns career? You know, Greg is a guy, he's, he's just, it's such a crazy story. I mean, going from the number two overall pick in the draft to just not fitting in with the Rams and then not fitting in with the Lions and just kind of being like a journeyman top five pick. And then he gets here to Cleveland, you know, obviously Desmond Harrison starts over him last year, but then he comes onto the scene and just holds down the left side. And listen, I know a lot of it was kind of that offense was flowing because even last year, if you watched, he got beat a little bit here and there. But what's crazy is I've never sat and watched a game and been like, this is the most atrocious tackle play I've ever seen. I mean, trust me, I've seen some bad tackle play, you know, mainly on the right side um, during the Joe Thomas years. But I don't think he's all pro. I don't think he's pro bowl. But I also don't think he was the worst, you know, on the team. I know that Pro Football Focus has his grade at right in the middle. I mean, he's just a run-of-the-mill kind of guy. So maybe his run is over or maybe there's just something going on that we don't know about. Um, you know, being in the place we are, a lot of it's just speculation. But, you know, ultimately I never watched and thought Robinson was like a huge glaring problem. I mean, he, he has as many penalties in six games as – Taylor deck or Taylor um, Lawan from Tennessee does in like three games. So it ain't been that bad. I hope we don't trade any um, draft picks and we go tackle one round tackle two second round. Well, the funny thing about offensive tackle is, is you really have to make sure you take them where it's appropriate. Because if you go back in the last couple of years and look at where some of these guys Juwan James and some of these other, I mean, Laramie Tunsil's like leading the NFL in penalties and he just got two first round picks, you know, to go to 10 or to go to the Texans from Miami. So with tackle play, it's really hit and miss. I know a lot of the draft sites out there are going to just pencil the Browns in for an offensive tackle, but at the end of the day, the Patriots don't use top top picks on, on offensive linemen. I think a lot of it is scheme. I think a lot of it is quarterback. You know, I used to talk with a guy who played center in the NFL for years, and he used to just go on and on about how overrated Jeff Saturday was. Because, oh, when you play with Peyton Manning, look how easy it is to be a center. So I think, you know, the Browns may not use that much capital. I mean, if they're picking 15 to 20 and there's a better player on the board or a second-round tackle, they're going to go with the best player on the board. Very interesting point there. Me, me the armchair fans, like, just go trade up and uh, get the best tackle we can get. Oh, you mean like Cam Irving at number 17 or Austin Corbett at 33? I mean, <laughs> these tackles and – I don't know. I just think that there is such an acclimation process to the NFL when it comes to the offensive linemen and even the tight ends. I mean, we look at a guy like Najoku we took at the back half of the first round and we drafted him at 20. It takes certain positions a long time to acclimate. I mean, who would have thought that Cam Irving would be the starting left tackle – for one of the top teams in the AFC protecting an MVP like Patrick Mahomes. 
I mean, Browns fans, this blows our mind because we looked at this guy who got shoved from, you know, the line of scrimmage onto a quarterback's feet, you know, on his backside. And here he is now with the Chiefs starting for one of the best teams in the league. Danny Shelton's another. I mean, you know, we talk about all these guys that are coming here. We give up on them so quickly and then they go somewhere else. Offensive line is just, I don't know, it's so hit and miss. I think it's because of Joe Thomas. And that's nothing negative about Joe is because we've had that great left tackle in Joe Thomas. We now want a carbon copy of Joe Thomas. Yeah, the one and the only. I mean, if you look around the NFL, you ask the average fan how many left tackles they can name. And you'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find many people that can name over five. So, All right, you, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Do it now. Uh, let's see. Your boy Trent Brown out of uh, Oakland. Andrew Whitworth out of uh, the Rams. Uh, Andre, or An, was it Alejandro Villanueva from the Steelers. Uh, the Bengals did have Cordy Glenn, but he's gone now. Um, obviously, the Browns is cheating, so I won't go that one. Laramie Tunsil for the Texans. Um, uh, Jason Peters from the Eagles, um, Tyron Smith from the Cowboys. I mean, I could keep going a few more, but yeah, you start getting in now to the nitty gritty. Like I could not tell you who the left tackles for the Jaguars or any of these teams. I mean, Nate Sauter, you know, Nate the Sauter, Giants is pretty bad. Yeah. But like I said, it's just one of those non-sexy positions where you just have to be above average because the, the new trend in the NFL is pass rush up the middle. So that's why there's been this big focus on guards that, you know, all of a sudden now we need to be stout up the middle. Did you mention Trent Williams? He's not on a net. He's not curtain playing. Ah, very good. So I can't believe we're talking about this, but Randall has deleted Cleveland Browns off his social media, which could mean anything. Trent Williams added a handful of Browns players on his social media. It means nothing. But it's something going on with Randall. This is a new trend in the NFL where people will stalk social media accounts to find out who follows who, who deletes who. I mean, it's become such an entertainment uh, type of thing where I don't pay attention to it. And, you know, I did see that Demarius Randall changed his profile picture and a few other things. I, I, who knows? I mean, these guys are so sensitive when it comes to some stuff. Duke Johnson, if you remember, he did that for a while and then we traded him. Um, with Demarius Randall, he's going into a contract year. And I think we all like the player that Demarius Randall is. However, the question really is if Demarius Randall is not in favor of the contract offer that John Dorsey has given him, and he has basically said, listen, I'm not signing for anything less than X and Dorsey and Joe Witt and those guys have said, you're not worth that. Wouldn't you trade him? Would you, would you move on? I mean, I know you, you might get a compensatory pick out of it, but in the same sense, wouldn't it be easier just maybe if there's a deal out there to be had, trade him. If you're not going to sign him, if you want to give that money to Schobert or to Higgins or somebody like that, I mean, the main speculation around Higgins getting traded is the fact that we're paying Odell and Jarvis. How can we pay Higgins? So, you know, that's the question there. And don't forget friend of the show, Tretter. He's a oh, big... JC. Yeah, he'd be number one on my list to give a deal to. I'm going to put a number out there. He's worth $10 million a year. Ooh, this is a great question for Jack. The problem is the safety market got reset by Landon Collins and then Earl Thomas. So the question becomes, if you're going to go up of $10 million, how many years would you give him and what would you guarantee? Because that's all that really matters in the NFL now is guaranteed money. 
So I'm thinking Randall, 10 million for two years. He would never sign it. And that's the issue is they want these long-term, I want five years, I want 80 million, and I want 52 of it guaranteed. And then we go back and watch the three or four games that he's played and gone, I don't see that. We run into the same situation we ran into with Jamie Collins. You have a guy that's taking up a huge amount of your salary cap and they're producing every once in a while. I mean, Demarius Randall, as good as he was at the back half of last year, he has not had the best start to the season. I think his most memorable moment now is watching Matt Breida run right by him on one of the worst tackling angles I've seen, you know, and getting outrun to the end zone. So is Demarius Randall going to come back maybe in the second half of the season and get three or four interceptions against, you know, the fighting Matt Moores or, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick's or Andy Dalton, who even knows if he's there in Cincinnati. He could come up and map, mop up some stats in garbage time games and try to justify his pay. But, you know, as I was mentioning to you, this also could be Randall saying, listen, I'm not 100%. I'm not playing. Like, unless I'm 100%, I'm not going out there because I'm in a contract year. I'm not risking it. I need to get paid. There's a lot of politics when it comes to these guys and stuff like that. And, you know, as a fan, it makes it very hard. You know, as the NBA kind of salary cap and player type of forced movement gets into the NFL, you know, the whole Jalen Ramsey thing, I think the more and more difficult it becomes to find, you know, the Miles Garrett or the Nick Chubbs where you're just like, this guy is just un un unequivocally, you know, a fan favorite. Let's move swiftly on to the Pats, mate. And what's your predictions for the Pats? Listen, I mean, everybody knows the Patriots are a buzzsaw. And I mean, anybody who's listened to uh, Cleveland Browns Daily this week has heard some of the stats about the Patriots and how many games – you know, they've won after halftime or winning the turnover margin or the fact that Julian Edelman, I don't believe, has ever lost at home to an AFC team in the regular season. I mean, just insane stats. So from a prediction standpoint, it's going to be rough. And if the weather is soggy, wet, and rainy, and good luck to you who likely will be sitting in the stands, I believe. In a kilt. Oh, that'll be fantastic. My Scottish roots will be loving that. This could be a slugfest. And I think if the Browns are to pull this off, Nick Chubb will have to go full Nick Chubb. 30 carries, 35 carries, you know, 100-plus yards. I know Frank Gore early in the season got over 100 yards against them. But, you know, if they, if they want to run this blitz strategy that they're going to run, we need the Browns to be able to kick open one of those holes and let Nick go running through it because once Nick Chubb's in the open field, I, I apologize. There's not going to be anybody to catch him, and none of those single guys are going to be able to take him down very effectively. So I'm going to go Browns in a shocker, 31-30 to 30 on the back of Nick Chubb, who goes for 140 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Mate, that's absolutely amazing. But, mate, I've got some breaking news. My flight is delayed for tomorrow. Oh, that that's me, troubling, dangerous news. That it does put me under a lot of pressure because I'm getting picked up at the airport and that's really set me back. So anyway, it's only a 45-minute delay and that's some breaking news. How confident are you all that you think the Browns are going to get a win? 51%. <laughs> and the reason I say that is New England does execute like no other team in the league. And we saw a few years ago, you know, the Browns give them a run. The Browns have always played the Patriots tough. I will say that. And 
let's be honest. This Browns team has more talent in, in, more talented individuals than the Patriots do. You know, we look around the Patriots roster and we see Stephon Gilmore. Okay, he's a stud. You look at around the, the offense, uh, is Julian Edelman. I mean, okay, he, he's, in, he's a top 25 receiver. He's not Odell Beckham. I, I think 32 out of 32 teams would take Jarvis Landry over Julian Edelman. And you look around the team, I mean, their offensive line, can you name their left tackle? Do you know who he is? No. Marshall Newhouse. You know, I mean, we're talking about they're on their third and fourth string O-line. You know, they made some trades in the offseason to bring in guys that just really didn't have – they didn't end up working out. So the Patriots are more of a collection of talent than they are individual talented players. Um, The Browns per position have more talent. Julia, um, um, Nick Chubb, I'm sorry, is significantly better as a running back than his old Georgia Bulldog, Sony Michelle. I mean, that guy the other day, I was watching against the Jets. I think he had like 20 carries for 40 yards and three one-yard touchdown runs. I mean, my buddy Seth and I are going back and forth about how that guy is just – he doesn't run very hard. He kind of dances and falls. James White's a better pass catcher than he is a running back. Um, you know, Brandon Bolden. These are just guys. You know, we call them Jags, just another guy. When you put those guys in the Patriots system, they're all pros. Then they leave the Patriots, Trent Brown, Nate Sauter, these guys, and they're just another guy. So if the Browns can put the collection of their talent together and play as a team, not shoot themselves in the foot with these penalties and not turn the ball over, which, like I said, the weather may help. That may reduce Baker's throws. Because, I mean, the Patriots have 18 interceptions in the season. So let's put the ball in Nick Chubb's hands. Let's pound it down their throats. Keep Tom off the field. And let's do what the Colts did to the Chiefs a couple weeks ago and uh, walk out of Foxborough with an upset winner. Yeah, mate, that'd be absolutely amazing. And the Bills gave the Patriots a good fight. And uh, there's no reason why we can't do something similar and, 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 and then absolutely uh, capitalize on it as well. Oh, absolutely. And I still think the Bills would have had a pretty good shot of winning that game if their quarterback didn't get you know knocked out halfway through, I believe, the, almost to the end of the fourth quarter. So they played the entire fourth quarter, but they think Matt Barkley is the quarterback. Uh, I need to get some sleep. I've got a flight uh, tomorrow. The plan is get to Boston. It sounds like I'm going to be 45 minutes late and then get to myself to the Buffalo Wild Wings in Mansfield and uh, meet a load of Brown fans. Are you, going, are you flying into Cleveland? Sorry, flying into Boston. Oh, Mansfield, Massachusetts? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Mm, there you go. I was like, wait a minute, you're on to Mansfield? But, oh, well, you have fun. Um, it should be a good game. I, I definitely like the Browns in the 13, 14 points that it's at. But I think that Freddie's really got to galvanize the team. I know he's taking a lot of heat this week in the media. Um, so you could see that I think he's just ready to play some football. Enough with the three press conferences and back-to-back days to hear about who practices. Let's galvanize the team. Let's get out there. Let's get physical with them because they're not going to run the same things they did against the Jets with us. Our receivers are way too talented. So if there is a sunshine in the air, um, I definitely see the Browns being able to win some of those outside matchups. And then we're just going to pound it home with Nick Chubb, baby. 140 yards, two TDs. Browns win 31-30. There it is. Well, Ian, mate, I'm loving the passion. I'm loving the support. I look forward to catching up with you afterwards to see how well our predictions are. Absolutely. Please, safe travels. And uh, tell all those Browns fans out there in New England to uh, you know, subscribe and go to the Paul Brown podcast. We love the feedback. 
you know, I've got a couple haters. Uh, you know, you warned me back in the day that I would get them. So they're starting to flow in. I love yes. it. I love haters for Ian and Jack. And if you've got any positive comments, send me DMs. I love them. Thanks very much, guys. Take care.